0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster and Deshaun podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. It is at this very moment Sunday night, January 17th. My name is Rob Doster. The gentleman that you see there with me is the one and only Deshaun Butler. As you can tell, he is a former West Virginia All-American. He always has the West Virginia gear on. Deshaun, how you doing, man? How was your weekend? How's everything?
1: I am doing well. The weekend was great. Tons of family time. Uh, as you already know mid uh, pandemic so <laughs> but uh, now nah, me and the kids and the wife had a blast so we've been uh just kicking it bro it's a good uh, good old-fashioned weekend here
0: that, that's good because um, you didn't have any West Virginia games to watch this weekend so you guys are on a, on a pause so that means we're gonna be able to talk about other teams on this podcast
1: yeah I know and uh, I can only imagine how many how happy certain people are so I'm <laughs> dedicating all my time to you guys now.
0: So this is the Monday Overreactions podcast. We have plenty to talk about because there was plenty that went on this weekend. Michigan got their asses kicked. Uh, Virginia kicked some asses. And, of course, there was the Ohio State-Illinois game, and that opened up a whole other can of worms that we got to dive into. Uh, but first and foremost, I did just want to talk a little bit about um, Kentucky and that Auburn game um, and the way, those thing, the, the, the way that, that game kind of played out in the press conference afterwards played out was really interesting to me. And the reason for it is that Coach Cal has has kind of tended to be something of an innovator in the college basketball space. And the reason that I say that is, you know, he's the first guy that really kind of embraced this whole one-and-done model, right? Just put all your chips in the middle on the best class of freshmen, shuttle them off to the NBA, get rid of them as quick as possible, bring the next group of players in, market yourself as the program that is the best at doing that. And then get all of the best players in the country. And, you know, there have been copycats and um, it hasn't quite worked as well uh, as it has in the past. And there has been some criticism from fans that maybe he cares about a little bit more about getting his guys to the league than he does about getting his players uh, to play their best basketball while they're in Lexington. That's probably, you know, neither here or there for this specific conversation. But uh, I I do think it's interesting that a guy that is that creative is still running an offense that is basically out of, uh, the 1994 playbook. And that's something that we can get into. The thing that is more interesting though, and I want to touch on first and foremost, because I, I have a feeling you played for a coach that would never, ever, ever say anything like this. But uh, one of the big controversies coming out of that game was that Dante Allen uh, led the team in scoring in the first half played 15 minutes. Second half came out, uh, played just eight minutes, like got pulled in the, like in the middle of a rotation because of, of something. And we can get into that too. But um, and, and, Afterwards, he was asked about it in the post-game press conference, and um, what he had to say was that – hold on. I want to bring up the exact quote to make sure I don't get this thing wrong. Yeah, don't misquote him. He said, I want to win every game we coach, but the other side of it is I'm not trying to take away anybody's heart. And that is something that has not sat well uh, with many people, fans, media members, um, critics of Coach Cal – uh, overall. So I, I'm just kind of curious, like when you hear a coach saying that, what does that, what does that mean to you? What is he
1: saying right there? Uh, well, on the first hear of it. It kind of sounded like sounded like he was trying to compromise. It, it, it almost in a sense, like he was compromising himself towards the players, which I mean, when you're the leader of a team, you know, obviously the coach is the head of the snake for this team. You don't want to, compromise your your team rules your team goals your whatever the case is just for the happiness just the happiness of the players because in turn you're not really helping these younger individuals understand how life works in general and that's one of the, the points of being a coach also hearing that uh, another time I can and I hate going back and forth on this because like the very first time I heard I was just like that just sounds like terrible but then at the same time if you're trying to teach and you're trying to get these guys to become better players, what can you teach them when you take their confidence away? And, you know, obviously the winning is very important. Some people will say it's the most important thing. Um, The same thing we have the conversation about when we talk about coach K and it's just like, all right, maybe he needs to focus on getting these guys ready for next year and have them learn the game and learn what they need to do and learn what they can do within the Duke's off. Same thing for Coach K. We have to extend him that same. Excuse me, Calipari. We have to extend him that same uh, that same that same luxury, being that you know he can't sit there and if Brandon Boston is like shooting one for four from three and Mince is not playing his best or whoever is not playing, Asky's not playing their best, and we know Dante Allen's gonna he can help. And it is about Dante Allen. It is about helping Dante Allen. And, and, you know, he's sat down for a long time as is. (laughs) So, you know, you think about him, but you also can't, I don't know. It's a tough line, man. It's like one of those lines where you just can't take your, one of your players hearts just to focus on the winning. Now they need wins, you know, they're in a, they're in a position where they need wins. So it's like, there's a line there, but if you are trying to help these kids and you are trying to help them become better players, not just worry about them getting to the NBA, and worry about the stock or whatever the case may be, but just help them become better players. There's a way you can go about doing it. And it's there's, you can't compromise yourself as a coach, but you also can't bury a kid and then sit there and go, well, he never turned in anything and you just sat him on the bench Mm -hmm. or you did like, you know, there's a line. So I can see in that comment that Cal put out there, that he's he's fighting with himself on, on the inside with that line trying to figure out how to do this job the best he can in the situation that his, him and his team is in by staying on that line so yeah
0: I mean it's it's tricky to try to to try to balance that right you want exactly. to be hard on kids you want to be able to push them you want to be able to hold them to a certain standard um, but it's also you know, he's there on the day-to-day, right? Like he's in that practice. He sees these kids. He's in the locker room with them. um, And he knows kind of what their mindset is. And and the bottom line is this. Like I I think who he – I think he's referring to guys like Olivier Saar and B.J. Boston who have not played well really at all this season. Um, But Cal needs them to be playing well if this team is going to end up reaching their ceiling and being as good as they possibly can be. Now, the question you got to ask at some point is – um, is it worth it trying to keep getting the bet like trying to, I, I, I don't know if coddle is the right word, but you are kind of coddling. When you say things like this, like you're kind of coddling them, right? Yeah, that it, is true. That's true. Cal's whole mantra has been like, Kentucky is not for everybody. If you're going to come here, you got to fight for what you earn. You got to accept the role. If that's what we're asking you to do, you got to do your job or you're just not going to play. Cause that's who we are. But, and then all of a sudden this year when things are struggling, it's like, okay, well we got to make sure that these guys are happy. We can't piss them off too much. We got to keep that confidence up. And, and that like those two things, it's not congruous. Like you're not, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they yeah. kind of go at what they you're, are. what you're, exactly. what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And, so the big thing to me is at what point do you kind of cut bait on some of these guys and say, all right, look, this isn't working, right? B.J. Boston is, is just – he's nowhere near the guy that we thought he was going to be coming into this season. Um, I think he'll probably leave school after this year. But, like, I, I, I don't know if he's a first-round pick. I don't know based off of what I've seen. Like, he's shooting 17% from three. He can't catch. He's a mess defensively. Like, why – why, like, who is going to take a risk on this kid? Like the whole thing about him coming in was he was this long, lanky athletic kid that could be switchable, that would be a pest defensively, that also happened to be like a really good shot maker and a really good score. Well, teams go at him on the defensive end because he's a mess. He's shooting 17% from three. Uh, like he doesn't have the handle we thought he did. So like all the things that we thought he did well, he doesn't do well. So who? that's a long way of saying like at some point you kind of have to say, okay, well, we, in order for us to win games, and, and that's the thing that gets me. It's like, I want to win games, but. I want yeah, to win yeah, every yeah. game I coach, but. And that's the surprising part to me. It's like that I understand the point that Cal is trying to make, but this is a guy that never, ever
1: slips up in what he's saying. Like, uh, So Gary Exactly. Paris, I, I would say that, that that was his big mistake. Even if he was trying to figure out a way to compromise or trying to figure out a way to toy that line and – Cottle, in a sense, his words are the ish that what he's in right now. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody has no, his words want, to take out, out of context. So
0: I want to win. But and, and so Gary Parish tells the story from CBS Sports. He was on our uh, Beale Street Bullies podcast mm-hmm. um, with an, a, Antonio Anderson. And what he said, like he there was one time when um, when he was on a private flight, like he got on a private flight with Coach Cal to fly from Memphis all the way up to Bristol for when Cal was doing a, like a guest spot in studio for with, with ESPN on like a Tuesday night game. And he yeah. said, while he was in on the flight, coach Cal was sitting there rehearsing what he was going to say, talking about like graduation rates and uh, making points about this, that, and the third. And he actually said really like, he's like, I'm going to make sure that I say something nice about Bob Huggins and Cincinnati and their graduation rates and, and all of these other things. And, and, and GP was like, well, did they tell you what questions we're going to ask? And Cal's answer was no, but I'm going to say what I want to say. Like, yeah, this dude is the best at, at spin, the best at getting his message out there, the best at being able to manipulate a press conference to make a point that he's trying to make. Yeah. And he fucked this up. Like, there's no other but way right? You, you can't, but, you but can't if you say,
1: said, uh, but if ahead. you think he, fu- if you think he fucked it up, then if, and you, you said, you're saying that he's this amazing, uh, you know, amazing at you know getting his point across do you think this is a a point he's trying to get across in general not to everyone else maybe to his players to like letting them know like in a sense that the players that he's talking about without naming them like hey like oh yeah that's a good point i'm not turning on you in the media i'm not going to just throw you in there's obviously a way you can go about that you can fall on a knife as a sword but then you know, then you're the one that's on the knife, and people will remember that you're on the knife. With him saying these things, it's almost as if like, "Hey, I'm trying to manage this group here," and then obviously to the, to the, like the masses of people listening, like the fans, and then also to the players, like yeah, I'm trying. I'm not trying to, you know, kill these guys. Like I'm, I'm trying to like you know manage them. I'm not trying, you know, what I'm saying like the the wording in which he's using. Like if he's this great like he can spin a, a a good story the way you say he can, then this had to have some serious thought in it. And that's why when you brought up BJ Boston, it just made me think of, of if he's saying this stuff now and BJ Boston isn't having the greatest season, I mean, then maybe we he, he is extending his uh, Coach K status in a sense where maybe we need to bring this group back next year, most of the guys that are coming back, l- let them see what people – outside of this locker room think about them as far as NBA career as far as as anything else and then they'll come back and then be a little bit more motivated to start their season
0: that's actually a really interesting point you just made maybe what he's trying to say is maybe he knew like if he knew that everybody would pick up on the I want to win every game but line then maybe he was saying that because bj boston would hear it and and would realize like i want to win every game but i have to make sure that bj boston still has confidence can you imagine hearing that as a player yeah so that's that's the kind of thing where that could drive a point home but i wanted to to rewind to something you mentioned um finding a way to develop guys that are going to be there for two years right and 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 focusing on the guys that are gonna that aren't going to be heading to the professional ranks like not worrying about a B.J. Boston, if he's going to be a one and done, or an Isaiah Jackson, if he's going to be a one and done, or Olivier Saar, um, if he's going to end up being a guy that goes pro. And, and that actually brings it to a really good point, because I think the biggest issue, the core issue with this Kentucky team, it's not like the Dante Allen thing, right? Because I, I actually, yeah. i want to say something about that. Like, the reason he got pulled in the second half was because, okay, first of all, Auburn went at him every time defensively. I went back and I watched the second half tape. There were three <laughs> straight possessions where they went at him and they abused him defensively. He was a train wreck on that end of the floor. It was basically like having me out there. And when you have a guy like Dante Allen, who is such a, sh- a threat to shoot the ball, his whole job is to run off of screens and be someone that can make threes. And if he's not making them be someone that manipulates the defense with the threat of making the three. Mm -hmm. We talk about this with, with Duncan Robinson, right? The reason Duncan Robinson is such a weapon is because of the way defenses move when he's coming off of screens. That's what Cal wants Dante Allen to be. Now, if Dante Allen is not going to shoot the, like when he's wide open, that's the other part about it. Like I found, I found the play that Cal was talking about where he was pissed that Dante Allen didn't shoot and Dante Allen came off an elevator screen. and had eight feet of space, like eight, eight feet of space in front of him from 22 feet away, wide open. A play called for him. He has to shoot that. And if you don't shoot it, he I mean, why shoot are you it. out there?
1: Why are you out yes.
0: there? Yes, because he can't do anything else well enough to be on the floor. More, exactly. Like, he ain't 3 and D. Like, he's 3 and nothing else. So <laughs> if you're not shooting – and it's actually – we mentioned Duncan Robinson. Like, he's talked about this at length. Like, one of the hardest things for him was to be able to get his mind around this idea that, okay, I'm Duncan Robinson. I started at a D3 school. Now I'm out here on the same roster, on the same court with, like – Dwayne Wade and Bam Bio and all of yeah, like cool. Goran Drag is like all-stars
1: exactly and
0: they want me to shoot every time I touch it like what is going on so it took him a while to get in that mindset and, and like honestly Dante Allen is six basically six games into his college career after listening to the first six weeks of the season where Cal basically said he wasn't good enough to play so yeah. I understand if Dante Allen is kind of like working through some confidence stuff and understanding like okay the least selfish thing that I can do as a basketball player right now is to shoot that shot every time I get it. So I understand if he's he's dealing with some of that. So I just wanted to put that out there. But the core issue that Kentucky is dealing with is that they do not play a modern style. They just don't. We talked about this before. You can't play Olivier Saar with Isaiah Jackson. You can't play Olivier Saar with Lance Ware. You can't play Lance Ware with Isaiah Jackson. You can't play two bigs that are basically fives defensively in, in an era where you you're pl- everybody is four out or five out, where everybody is spaced. And Cal has not made that adjustment. He has not gone to a lineup where, okay, we're going to focus on uh, shooting threes because we don't have bigs that can be as dominant as Carl Anthony Towns or DeMarcus Cousins in the pick. Mm. And he hasn't he hasn't made that adjustment. Now, let me ask you this. If you could take a lineup where you put Devin Askew at the one, Davian Mintz at the two, you gave me uh, Dante Allen at the three, Jacob Toppin at the four, Keon Brooks at the five, right? And then kind of rotated in like Lance Ware at the five and, and, and kind of moved your lineups around that way. But focus everything on going five out, super small, letting Keon Brooks play the five, try to create mismatches, get all your ball handlers and shooters and scorers on the floor together. That will match up better with a lot of these teams like in Auburn, Alabama. And it will also give these players that are going to be back for another year, Allen, Topping, ask you maybe if you're lucky even like a, a Isaiah Jackson maybe if you're lucky Davion Mintz will decide like hey you know what I'm not going to the NBA I might as well use that last year of eligibility because this year doesn't count like to me not only is that like a modern lineup but you're 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 developing guys that are going to be there for two years so I just honestly that's to me that's what I would do if I was Kyle you're four and eight. the fuck you yeah. got to lose
1: I mean for this season yeah I kind of understand your point I feel if he could, if he could put Cam Brooks at a at a four spot, that'll even make it a little bit better. I, I, you, he's not going to stray away from what his offense is. I mean, it's, it's too late to change anything at this point. Now these guys are getting accustomed to it. But if he could get some some aspect of uh, a four man that can step out and guard guard another four. Like, mm-hmm. the fours that are out there and other teams, like, it's not even, obviously, offensively, their they're, they're bigs are going to give you what they're going to give you, but the, the issue is, like, them not being able to defend. Like, they can't, they're not as versatile as they could possibly be one through four, and it creates mismatches at four spots from time to time. They get beat in transition a ton of the time, and, they're not, and, not, and then you add the fact that they're not scoring the basketball or they turn mm-hmm. the ball over every other, like, it. it just doesn't suit well you the way his offense is run he obviously needs to go out and uh <laughs> recruit people that fit the offense a little bit better offensively for them to score in these positions because the, the, the offense is literally t- like tailored for bigs to score the basketball and then if they can't obviously coming off of staggers and so like they they'll, they have plays to get shooters the ball but it's the way this team is kind of put together and how it start? It just it's just not working right
0: now. It's not working right now.
1: Um. Yeah. All right.
0: So I, I think that's enough about Kentucky. There's there, there's a lot of things going on there, and and Coach Cal like has. He's right about some things. He's wrong about some things. I think yeah. it's getting a little overblown. But the the biggest right. issue is like he ain't winning. And if you ain't winning and you're worried about getting guys to the league, like Kentucky fans are not going to like that. All right, before yeah. we get into the overreactions, I do want to just let you guys know that today's episode is presented by Front Office Sports, the leading publication covering the business of sports. Here on Doster and Deshaun, we mostly discuss the action on the court. But if you want to know more about the multi-billion dollar industry that is driving college basketball and college football, Front Office Sports is your go-to source. FOS College is a free weekly newsletter that cuts through the noise and brings you originally reported stories on the business behind college athletics with an audience that includes everyone from division one athletic directors to diehard fans fos college has you covered with the stories behind the march madness bubble the latest on name image likeness rules tv and media rights deals and much much more more. So visit frontofficesports.com for the biggest stories on the business of sports and subscribe to the weekly FOS College newsletter or their daily newsletter covering the entire sports industry by navigating to the newsletters page on the site. I'll also include a link in the show notes below. Deshaun, all right, my first overreaction. Michigan Losing by 18 at Minnesota is proof positive that we were right not to put them into the same tier as Baylor and as Gonzaga in terms of being the the, the best teams in the country and the favorites to win a national title.
1: I would disagree on the fact that it's one game. And not to mention, they just beat the crap out of that team by 30 the week before. So... If, if, if it was a week, I would, what, what is it, like, almost, like, a week and a half? They just beat mm-hmm. them at their job. Now, it does show some alarming things about them on the road. It's small. But even then, they've won road games, too. So, like, we haven't had a big sample size of Michigan just losing to even figure out if this is even a problem. Like, it's was one game. And they lost to it. The first time they played Minnesota, Minnesota, like, had no hope for Marcus Carr. And – this game, Marcus Carr passed a little bit more in the second half and guys made some shots and they extended that lead uh and they ended up winning the game. I mean, I can't knock Michigan for them shooting poorly and having a a like a poor shooting night on the road against who we are talking about like Marcus Carr and his team. Marcus Carr is like a first first team all American at the point. I mean, yep. you know what I'm saying? So I can't knock Michigan for that. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, man, but
0: Dick Vitale just tweeted. <laughs> he just tweeted, Lorraine, give me some Pepto-Bismol. And Pepto-Bismol in all caps.
1: <laughs> Why? <laughs> What is he doing? I'm, I'm assuming he's t- like, tweeted, like live tweeting the, uh, the, the Bucks game or something like that. His phone like, just like heard him <laughs> talking. And, and this is this like voice recognition text. Lorraine, give me some Pepto-Bismol. Oh, oh man. Yeah, a, <laughs> shout out to Dickie V for, uh, 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 like attempting to use uh, social media. I love it.
0: Oh man. I love Dickie V. He's a man. Look, I, So, oh man. <laughs> can, I,
1: can I go out? Can
0: I go on my Dicky V rant real quick? Go ahead. All you
1: right, also anytime someone says anything negative about Dickie V, I already I always see you say something. So
0: yeah, I, I am not here. I, I will not <laughs> allow any Dicky V slander st- on my
1: Twitter timeline. I have I a funny Dickie. To- I have a funny Dicky V story. So it's okay, like but, uh go ahead, go ahead, tell of teleport. one of uh <laughs> is it is it funnier than him tweeting Lorraine? Give me some Pepto Biz. It's, cl- it's I wouldn't say that it's close though, but freaking uh I I show up to a uh, West Virginia on a visit and I'm talking to our trainer and he goes, yeah, Dick Votel was just here last week because they play LSU. This is when they had like Taz Mitchell and friggin' everybody. They were amazing. And he's like, yeah, Dick Votel came up to me and with the camera in my face and the microphone in his hand was just asking me questions. Like, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you guys like, how do you know who's going to do this? How do you know who's going to do that? And our trainer was sitting there like looking at him. He's like, why are you asking me these questions? And he goes, you're John Beline, right? <laughs> he, was st- he mistook our trainer for John Belon. I like we always we always we always laugh when I trainer about it. He's like Dicky V knew who I was. Like basically. We love, oh, man. I love Vito.
0: Yeah, I will I will not I will not tolerate any Dicky V slander ever on my timeline. Um just because of everything that he does and like he's raised like hundreds of millions of dollars to to fight cancer and, and all the stuff that he stands for. Uh might it be time for him to be taken off of some of ESPN's biggest games? I'll just put it like this: I, it's very weird to me when Fran Fischilla is not calling the biggest Big Twelve game of the day, right? But like, I'll, I'll never—you can never say anything bad about Diggy B to me. I, I will not I'll, not. I'll not. I'll not. I will not allow it. I won't no. allow it, Tayshaun. Um he's, All right, he's, so he's a
1: staple. He's a staple, man. Can't he's a
0: staple. He's a—he's a legend in the game. Exactly. He helped make college basketball what it is uh and you can't get yeah. up no, no Dickie V slander allowed um all right so uh Michigan um so for me it it kind of highlighted some of the concerns that we do have and that we have had all season long uh I, I do think it needs to be put into the context of Eli Brooks was not playing and, and Eli Brooks is like a good kind of connected piece like yeah. he's a shooter he's a really good on ball defender he was probably the guy that would have, Gotten the uh, the the heavy load guarding Marcus Carr, yeah. Um, but like, he's not a 18 point difference, right? He's not why they got run out of run out yeah, of the gym. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. Um, I, I just think it's that like Minnesota came up with a game plan and it completely flustered and completely took Michigan out of everything they wanted to do. Hunter Dickinson played his worst game of, yeah. of the season by far. Like, he just kept getting double teamed. He had no idea what to do. I think he ended up with six turnovers. As a team, Michigan had 20 turnovers. Uh, Mike Smith finished with 10 assists but didn't make a shot the whole game. Right, exactly. uh, Michigan as a team couldn't really make shots. So, like, to me – and here's the reason why I think that it, there's, a, there's a level of difference between Michigan and Baylor and Gonzaga is that – Gonzaga played horribly at St. Mary's like it was by far the worst game that they've played this season and not even close like Jalen Suggs had a good three minute stretch at the start of the second half and beyond that like he he was a, he looked clueless. He looked absolutely clueless out there for, for most of the game. Um, they weren't really making all that many shots. Corey Kispert was fine. Andrew Nemhard was okay. Drew Timmy could never really assert himself and they couldn't really get the ball to him all that much. St. Mary's completely dominated the, the pace of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gonzaga still won by 14. They would have covered if Omar Balo had finished dunk at the end of the game, like on the last possession. So, uh, Baylor, right. They didn't play all that well. Jared Butler didn't score until there were five minutes left in the game. Yeah. Um Texas Tech like really got it going offensively in the second half. And Baylor still won by eight on the road at Texas Tech in Lubbock, where there were probably like four thousand fans in that arena because it was kind yeah, of so, it was packed. So those those two teams played poorly and still won on the road against some of their toughest competition in conference play. Michigan on the road played bad against like a there's no slide on Minnesota, but probably like not a top five team in the big 10 and got run out of the gym by 18. Now, does that say a little bit about the difference between the big 10 and the WCC? Sure. Of course, obviously that's not the point that I'm trying to make. Um, But I, it does kind of show you that the floor for what these other two teams are is much, much higher than
1: the floor for what this Michigan
0: team is when things go bad for them.
1: Um, there, and that's why I kind of like, I I guess I could say I disagree in that scenario because once again, you, you brought the point up toward the end of, uh, toward the end of that. Yes. The competition in the big 12 and the big 10 is completely different from the competition in the WCC. And even though Gonzaga played as bad as you said he did, they still, as far as talent wise, as far as coaching wise, they, they they have everything and they still won the game by 14 points. So Gonzaga, but Gonzaga is in a place of their own. So I'm going to say Gonzaga to the left in there. And I'll talk, you talk about Baylor and Texas tech also both ranked teams, similar to Michigan and Minnesota, but um, like that first half, like, I mean, honestly for the game, Texas tech, they had a better second half, but it was just an ugly basketball game. They didn't mm-hmm. shoot the ball. Well, the only reason they stayed in the game is because they offensive rebounded the ball. Well, they played pretty solid defense. They were scrappy and they kind of, and, and obviously Butler didn't shoot the ball really well. They didn't really get much offense other than Davion Mitchell and, and obviously Flagler and O'Teague play. Well, they, they, it was just an ugly game. So, and it had nothing to do with how well Texas tech play. I kind of feel like it was more or less like Baylor didn't make many shots and the game was close because of that. I mean, they they Baylor did what they were supposed to do defensively. I mean, Texas Tech only scored 60 points, so they did what Baylor normally does, they just didn't score the ball. So, I look at Michigan, them losing this game to a Minnesota team they just played a week before. And if you you notice, like it's not easy to beat a team. Two times or three times in the same year, especially within a week, uh, uh like a, a, tur- a week turnaround. Like they they probably watched this game like <laughs> after they got destroyed at their gym. They probably watched this game, even though they had other games to prep for. They probably watched this game over and over, like two days before this game played. Mm-hmm. Like they knew exactly what Michigan was going to do. It was going to be a quick turnaround, and you know they 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 did what they were supposed to do. They shot the ball great. Michigan did not. As opposed to the first game, Hunter Dickinson didn't have a great game. The first game, he had like 30 almost. Like, at the end of the day, it's nothing to really worry about, I feel, because it's against a team that's on the up as far as Minnesota is. Michigan is still a team, I feel like, is, is that's on the up. And it's the Big Ten Conference. They're going to run into teams like this all the time. And they're going to have road games as well. And I don't, I don't foresee them losing like this when they lose – like when they lose or or when they play any other team in the Big Ten, I just can't foresee that happening. Like as far I mean, as was, how talented they are,
0: it, it definitely was a wake up call for them, right? Like oh I yeah, it was that, a smack think, in the mouth,
1: and it's the first one of the year. I mean, you get it,
0: it, it's, and it and sometimes, and you and you might. I mean, you know this, man. Sometimes you need to get you know your teeth kicked in once exactly. in a while. But yes. like, so I, I I agree with you on all of that, and and I do think that like Michigan, I'm not saying like they're not a top ten team. I'm not saying that they can't win the Big Ten. What I what I I just – I think that there's a certain tier, right? And I, I would put Baylor and Gonzaga in a tier of their own. And then after that is a conversation. Um, but for me, the reason why I would not have Michigan there is it's not – it's not because they lost the game. It's not because um, – you know, it's not because I just saw them lose by 18. It's not because Minnesota not a good team. Um, it's, it's twofold. One, Michigan kind of like runs their offense – through a, a low post five
1: wow, and yeah.
0: and that like Hunter Dickinson is awesome but there are some limitations that can happen and Minnesota proved what those are like if you mm-hmm. throw a double team at him then he doesn't mm-hmm. really know what to do sure. so I'll, it'll be very interesting to see if now that that's on film and teams have seen that if that's something that that they're going to do over and over and over again and if that kind of limits what Hunter Dickinson can be as an offensive weapon it's a little bit problematic. The other part of it That's is true. the two best backcourts in the country are Gonzaga's and Baylor's, and I don't think that it's close at all. Gonzaga has the potential number one pick, um, Andrew Nemhard, who started at Florida, and, uh, and Joel E. I, who is going to probably end up playing in the NBA. I'm convinced it at this point. Like He's so good. Um, while Baylor has Jared Butler, first team All-American, Davion Mitchell, who's going to end up playing like he'll probably be a second round pick. Adam Flagler, who has come out of nowhere to be one of the best shooters that, that, that you'll find. Uh, Macy Oteague, who is just like an all around just solid, solid two guard in college bat. Like, I love we'll start, that dude. He'll
1: start anywhere else. He could start in anywhere yeah. else's team.
0: Yeah, I, I love, I love his like his 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 like mid range off the glass game. Yeah, like and, and like he's got the ugliest jumper I've ever seen in my life. Like there's the biggest hitch I've ever seen in a shooting stroke. Let me see what he has and it, like he he still makes the shots, man. Like I I, I love that dude's game. Um and yeah, like Matthew Myers, just a six foot nine trucker Like I yeah. they they've great guards. Yeah, they do. Gonzaga has great guards and Michigan does. They got good guards
1: like Brooks Michigan. is a good
0: piece. Mike Smith, Mike Smith is, for the most part, been really, really, really good this year. But there's a difference between what those other guys got and what Michigan's got. And for me, like college basketball is a guards game, man. you got to have great guards if you're going to yeah. be able to go win in March. So that's what kind of sets them apart for me. So let me ask you this. I think we both agree that, like, Gonzaga and Baylor, like, are are you with me that they are
1: the clear-cut top two? Would you put anyone else on, like, their team? Their no, it's, it's them for now. It's them. I mean, we haven't seen them, but the thing about Baylor that's worrying me is that they're having issues scoring. But yeah. besides that, um I mean, if they can keep people from uh, scoring, then <laughs> then they'll be okay. Yeah, so, like uh, we we
0: kind of we kind of knew that that was going to end up coming, right? Like there's yeah. no way Davion Mitchell was going to shoot 60% from 3 for the whole season. Well, season yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um all right. So for me in that next tier of teams, um this is who I would have. I'd I'd put Iowa there. I'd put Villanova over there. I'd put Michigan there. This is this isn't in the order. I'm just I'm yeah, just, you just off I
1: mean just thinking of some teams here. Yeah.
0: I'd put Tennessee there and I'd put Texas there. And I think that is it in terms of who I would have in that next tier. Would you would yeah. you add anybody else?
1: I'd probably take Tennessee out and put Kansas there. And like I would say Kansas I was say Illinois before, but eh, it's tough right now for them. I still think talent wise, they and the way the team is situated, they can be in that tier as well. It's just that they keep getting housed, and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> keep losing games, <laughs> and so, and then it doesn't seem like guys are making too many adjust. Well, I was would, I want say they're not making too many adjustments. That's a, that's a false, that's a falsehood. Uh, but uh, I would say that they they keep finding ways to lose games. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, so I-, I would I would put. Tennessee is good, man. They're like they're good defensively. Like they, they're not Baylor, but they're, they're they're versatile. They're almost as versatile. Uh, they have they have a great rim protector, and Eaves. It's just, I feel like Baylor's offense is way better than Tennessee's offense. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> and that's the thing. It's just like wow. Like and that's the way Tennessee's offense, I mean, the way Baylor's offense has looked, it still looks a, 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 more consistent than Tennessee's. Like. They got Baylor has guys that can create off the dribble, and other teams do. And you just like you said, this is a guards, this is a guards game in college, for especially now. And I don't see their guards doing much creating to like, like you know, any playmaking or just to give the team that kind of like relax. We'll take yeah. care. Like you know, there's no settling. Like they they just swing the ball around so they find a, a shot or. Someone takes a dribble, picks it up, pump fake, step, step side step, shoot a like mid range, like leaner. It's it's not the best uh, and not the most creative
0: offense. Well, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Um, you know, but th- that's why I have them in that next tier. Like yeah. Iowa, we're always going to have questions about what Iowa is defensively, yeah, right? Sure, 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 sure. I have, like I just mentioned with Michigan, I have questions about a team that runs so much offense through the five that doesn't have great guards. You know, like, we have questions with Tennessee. Like, what happens if you get into a game where um, someone can hold them down and, and not allow them to create? If you can't, if they can't score off their sets and they can't score off the transition, who's going to make a play? Uh, like, will Villa, is Villanova ever going to play another game? We'll play basketball you know? game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then Texas, like, I mean, look, I can't – I love Shaka. I can't fully buy into Shaka uh, as it is. Uh, let me ask you this of all of the other teams in the country like whether we're maybe a Wisconsin and Illinois a Kansas and Alabama like who do you think is like the the closest to cracking that tier like is there if you had to if you had to put money on one more team um potentially winning uh, a national title from outside of the seven teams that we just mentioned uh, who would it end up being cuz i honestly i I kind of think i might go with Alabama at this point
1: I don't know, bro. I'm not going to hold you. Uh, you said don't add a member. I just like Texas's team, just b- being that they are so big and the bigs are so versatile. Like I can't, I can't not see that they, I can't like see them not creating problems for teams, like whoever they play. Like I feel like Texas is a team, like the way their team is as far as athletically, as far as just how big they are, how talented their guards are, how many like role players they have guys that just know their role. They're not going to do anything else. Some of them just catch a shoot great three and D got like, they they're just such a versatile team. I feel like if you sat them and had them play against, like, I can't wait to watch them play Baylor. I can't, like, if you sat mm-hmm. them and pl- had them play against uh, Gonzaga, it'll be like, I can't wait to watch that game because of how talented Texas is and what they could and, and if they get to the point where their chemistry just link like you see how good they are when they're good. No i'm I'm with you I would, like I, would I, have, have, I would have I would have Texas see, in my second though. tier. I could see I would, them like creeping into a spot where they could possibly win a national championship depending on who they play. Like it's like depending on who they play but do I think that they could possibly beat a Baylor? Yes, they could beat the a Gonzaga. They could beat a. They could beat these teams, obviously. Like,
0: yeah, I I forgot to mention. I would have them in my second tier. Like, I would have them in that group. Um, so the guy, I I the reason I like Alabama so much is that, um, uh, just the, the, the offense, way that I
1: saw that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that I
0: love I love the way that they, they they attack. I love this this mindset of, uh, we're going to um, shoot nothing but threes and layups. I love that they have guys with the ability to get good shots and that understand, like, okay, coach is giving me free reign to shoot whenever I have a good three, but they kind of understand. Like, you don't often see them take bad threes. Like, that, to me, is the most impressive part of that. It's like, for the most part, like, the shots that Alabama is getting are all good shots. They're just mm-hmm. getting them quick. And mm-hmm. I think that that's very difficult uh, to to teach players to do at the college. Like it's not easy to, to, to get a bunch of 19 to 22 year olds to, where you say you got free reign to shoot as many threes as you want, but you got to make sure they're good shots. Like there's no yeah. way that it's, it's hard to get them to all take good shots and they tons shoot them well,
1: tons of fun <laughs> and, and,
0: and they'll defend. So uh they're just, because of the way that they can shoot in the style that they do play. I, I just think that they're so dangerous and they can like, I think they can beat anybody on any given night. Now, they could also lose to anyone on any given. They lost to Stanford by 18 points. So, yeah. um, I, I just I think they're such a threat, and I love watching the play. I wanted to give them a shout out here. Uh, the one team that neither of us did mention was Virginia. Virginia won by 35 points against Clemson on Saturday. They put up 85 points and 58 possessions. Deshaun, I'll do the math for you. Uh, that is 1.47 points per possession. If you recall. On December 26th, the day after Christmas, <laughs> when Virginia played was uh, Virginia played Gonzaga. Yeah, Gonzaga put up 98 points, and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, that's the most unbelievable offensive performance I've ever seen. No one ever does that to Virginia. Gonzaga put up uh 1.42 points per possession there. So Virginia was much more efficient offensively. Uh, and they did it against a better defense. Clemson entering Saturday's game was the number one. Defense, according to Ken Palm's adjusted offense, uh, de- adjusted defensive efficiency metric, which is whatever the standard for what people use to determine um, who the best defenses are. So Virginia yeah. put up 85 points on 58 possessions against the best defense in college basketball. In the second half, at one point they made nine straight threes. Yeah. Now, in back-to-back games, they've scored at least 80 points, and they are 27-51 from three in those two games. They're five and zero in the ACC. They've won five games straight since the, getting blown out by Gonzaga. They're in first place all alone in the conference. Deshaun is Virginia. I Well, here, let me phrase it as an overreaction because that's 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 our bit. You know, you got to commit to the bit. Gotcha. Um, Virginia is the best team in the ACC, but they are not a top 15 team in the country, and they would not be a top five team if they played in the Big Ten.
1: I'm a really, there's
0: a there's a lot to unpack there yeah, <laughs> do
1: a lot at you I'm trying to make sure I get everything yeah I don't believe that they are the best team in ACC record-wise shows that they are so they earn that so I can't take that away from them so congrats to them because they're doing better than I thought they would honestly do but then if I look at besides Clemson <laughs> and they're 5-0 they played Notre Dame twice they play BC and they play Wake force who i watched today and they are at the bottom of the acc <laughs> um did they did they start they, that carter wick guy at the point wake Forrest? yeah yeah they're talking about him looking like the uh what's the guy's name sean penn and uh what's the movie called with the hair oh no uh, um, uh fast times at uh oh yeah so i thought yeah, i said
0: that i said that carter he looked wick. like I, I said that he looked like Brendan <laughs> Fraser from Airheads. Remember that movie?
1: Ah, where yeah. He yeah. <laughs> the radius. Yeah. He had a rough one today. He kept he kept uh, attacking the baseline and stepping out of bounds. It was a tough one for him. But yeah, he you know, was a high school seat. Like he graduated high school 17 here, 17 years old. Bro. And he's and he's going to be good. So I'm not going to even slander the young man's name. So shout he just out he, he just needs a haircut. <laughs> he needs a haircut. And time and time, it's, he needs time. But uh, what I would say is they played the bottom of. Besides Clemson, they played the bottom of the ACC, and they won games that they were supposed to win if you go off of what they were ranked initially in the beginning of the season. These are teams they're supposed to beat. This game against Clemson, I won't take that away from them because they beat a good team. Their coach, uh, Tony was, Bennett, was just talking about how they got slapped in the mouth, and they got their humble pie, and they're ready to play good teams and prove how good of a team they are. And they came out and proved it. I mean, they took, it, they took advantage of the mismatches they had, and and this is a like you said the number one defensive team in the country at the moment. Um, Huff made great passes, man, and he was the actual a big a big problem for them. Which is what I thought Huff could do consistently during the year. I remember telling you first time watching Virginia play, I saw this seven footer catch the ball, pump fake because he could shoot. They run at him. He takes a dribble, gets all the way to the basket, takes a dribble, finds people, and because he can make plays like that, it makes their team. That much like that much more dangerous, and then you what do you see? You see the team I saw the very first game, like they did these things. Uh, k Clark was getting layups uncontested, like they did a lot of stuff, like as far as back door and just knocking down jump shots. They 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 played great. I mean, I kind of felt like this game was more suited for their the mismatch that they could like take advantage of, though. Like, they their offense it seems like they're starting to get a feel for their offense. Yes. The offense that we were talking about. They it wasn't working too much too early. They're starting to get a better feel for it. And obviously losing does help that you you see your mistakes and what you could do better. The coach can explain it to you a little bit better. You can see it on film, see the games, see what you need to do right and wrong. I mean, what you've done wrong and what you can do right. So these things help them get to a point where they can play a team like Clemson, who's a really good defensive team and a really good team in general and just beat them really bad and then they can shoot the ball they're a really good team so once you have to respect three-point shooting and shooting in general and they space the floor the way they do you're just leaving the the basket open the paint was free they're getting backdoor cuts They're getting layups now guys are off and now they're getting jump shots and it was they just picked them apart yeah so i i definitely think part of it is that Virginia is is getting
0: better. The, the one thing that Tony Bennett has proven the ability to do is adapt when he needs to adapt. Uh, like I've talked about ad nauseum um, last year, but he went from running basically just the blocker mover yeah. uh, when when he like when he first got there. To the year they won the title, he threw in a ball screen continuity offense because he got Ty Jerome who plays in the NBA. You got Kyle Guy, NBA player. You got DeAndre Hunter, NBA player. You have all these guys that can space the floor and shoot. Why are you wasting them in a block remover when, you know, you might have the best ball screen point guard in the country, Ty Jerome. So he implemented a new offense that he wanted to run. Uh, He also started that season giving Jack Salt-like starts and playing him 20 minutes a game. And by the end of the season, he was playing lineups with Mamadi Diakite at the five, or even Braxton Key at the five, like really mixing it up, going small, changing what he wanted to do to adapt. And it won him a national title. Last year, the same thing kind of happened. Like he never could really quite figure out the answer, but he kept tinkering and kept tinkering and kept tinkering. And and despite the fact that they were like objectively mediocre, they still finished a game out of first place in an okay ACC. Now this year, what you're seeing is, he tried to go to that five-out offense, and it didn't work. So he went back. He's doing his block remover and and, um, and and ball screen continuity stuff. And he's got some other wrinkles in there. But the change that you're seeing is freshman Reese Beekman is starting now, and they're playing Trey Murphy a lot more minutes. And oh, yeah. they have more shooting on the floor. Um, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of Kihei Clark to do the things that he was being asked to do. Uh, and, you know, they, they can survive the fact that Sam Hauser just really hasn't gotten it going the way that we were expecting them to get it going. So so all of that is true. All of these guys are getting better, right? And so when you take all those role players kind of figuring out their job and combine it with Kihei, who is just one of the best winners in college basketball, Sam Hauser and Jay Huff, and they're going to get better. Um, But I also think it's important to note, like you said, they really haven't beaten anybody because you got to remember with Clemson they were just on a pause for two weeks. Yeah. They didn't start practicing until Wednesday. They didn't practice with their coach until the day
1: before <laughs> the game. So, like, <laughs> I didn't want to lump the, them in and say the Clemson was nobody. I just knew that the situation wasn't yeah. as normal. It wasn't normal. So, so like, it's it's completely understandable that Clemson was not firing on all cylinders,
0: and with the, Virginia is not the team that you want to play when you're not firing all cylinders. So um, you combine all of that with the fact that Duke is down. North Carolina is down Florida state. We're probably about to talk about them in a second, but they're not quite what we necessarily expected them to be. Uh, Louisville is still kind of banged up. Uh, Like Virginia tech and Clemson have looked like the two best teams in the ACC. So when you put that context into this conversation, like it really shouldn't be all that surprising that Virginia can go out and win the ACC. It doesn't mean that they're as good as like Illinois, who's in fifth yeah. place in the uh, fifth place in the Big Ten, or or Ohio State, who just won by fifteen at 15, Rutgers exactly. and, by, and should have blown out Illinois at yeah. Illinois. So, um, I think that Virginia is probably the favorite at this point to win the ACC, and I also think that it's. Because the ACC is down, and it's not because Virginia is all that great. So let me ask you this: If Virginia is not the best team in the ACC, who is?
1: Oh man, jeez. Um, I I, I love I love Florida State this year. That's what I say I like the way Florida State played. The way I honestly, the way Florida State played against North Carolina this this past weekend. That's the only thing that makes me think that Florida State can be the best team in the ACC because their team literally stuck to a game plan that everybody, you can say, all right, you need to do this against North Carolina, but not everybody does it. Like they just sometimes find different ways to win. It can, the game can be played much simpler and they can win games against a team like North Carolina. For example, they just kept them out of transition. So to keep them out of transition, obviously you have to score the ball, but sometimes you don't whatever the case may be, you don't score. But they picked them up full court so they can stop transition offense. And then once they got into the half court, they just played contained defense saying, North Carolina, you're going to have to shoot threes over us to beat us. We can't let you guys get into the paint. And sometimes Garrison Brooks got some seals and got a couple layers, but for the most part, they did a solid job of just keeping UNC out of the paint and out of transition and kept them from like, just so they wouldn't get going. And then they forced him to shoot a lot of jump shots, which in turn you see UNC made more jump shots than they probably made uh, in in weeks. And Love looked better than he looked in a little bit, but still like it wasn't enough to be a very well coached and very, just a very well coached team. And you could just see the differences in how the players just played. It was just, it was, it was, it just made me think that Florida state is probably, if not, this first best, day, like they're in the top two best teams in the league.
0: They're they are so well coached. And yeah. and the 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 example that I'll give you is this. They the defense that they play is uh it's like technically a man-to-man, but mm. they switch everything, everything. Yes. Everything. And it's not just like like they switch screens. If if the, if there's an exchange on the Change, weak side of the yeah. floor, they switch that. If guys are running across the court, it's it's almost it, it's got some like very real like matchup zone principles to it. Um, it's, I, I don't even know what, what, what Leonard Hamilton would call it, but it's just, you have to communicate so well and you have to be so well drilled to understand like who is moving where, and you have to have a, a roster full of guys that are just utterly elite team defenders that know yeah. when they need to be in help side that know instinctively who has got that next rotation. And if that guy's got that rotation, then I got to be there to cover for him. And that guy's got to be there for co- to cover for yeah. me. And you have to trust that your teammates are going to be able to pick you up in those spots. And like, that's not easy to do to get yeah. guys to that point. So it's just, I love, love watching them defend because it's just, it's a thing of beauty. Like yeah. not everybody can do what he does. It gets those guys to do on the defensive At all, but-
1: man, that discipline, that discipline alone, man, it was, it mm-hmm. was good to see, man. It was, it would they would switch off the ball where guys are coming off a staggers. They switch and it almost like killed it kind of kills your like steam a little bit when you come into the ball because you know they're switching and you're going to your spot and it was just like guys were slowing down, coming off of screens, they they weren't getting into shot. Like it it kind of just took them completely out of the game. So it, it takes you out of what you want to run offensively, and that's exactly. why they do it.
0: Because what, what it does is it forces you. They basically say, like, we're going to overplay this and we're not going to let you run the offense that you want to run because we're not going to let you make the pass here that gets you to, to initiate it or the pass here to initiate it because they know what you're going to do. So they kind of force you to beat them one on one, which is why you see teams like a North Carolina, who does not have great guard play this year, struggle in matchups like that. And I, I think it's also important to know, like, Scotty Barnes didn't play. Scotty Barnes might be a top 10 exactly. pick. Scotty Barnes Did didn't play. play. They uh they use my, the, my new favorite player in all the college basketball, Raylon <laughs> Gray, a six foot eight, two hundred sixty pound. Like he legit, if he decided he wanted to play offensive tackle, like he probably could be a really good offensive tackle with the way that he can move. They use him at the point. He was switching. He was guarding point guards. He was guarding fives. Like they are just, it, it's so team. much fun to watch them. They're so good, and it feels like Leonard Hamilton has a never-ending pipeline of six foot six athletic dudes that can shoot block shots, you know, switch on the point guards, handle the ball. And now I know why
1: he didn't recruit me. I'm still yeah. angry. Leonard. <laughs> Leonard. I was joking. Now, uh, what did you think about uh, Virginia tech today? <laughs> the, oh, actually I'm tripping. Sorry. What do you think about Virginia tech in general? Um,
0: Very well coached. I love watching them run offense. Uh, I think that. Kevin Aluma's been a pleasant surprise but I just like if you're telling me that Virginia Tech is the best team in the ACC <laughs> like there's there's a level of talent that you expect a someone that that can win a conference like that to have exactly to have and they they don't have it and like maybe Mike Young is as good as Tony Bennett when it comes to, to coaching teams up like maybe maybe he just is that good And we'll because like Tony Bennett, I trust to win, like win a league without maybe without an NBA player. Like, I don't know if Virginia has an NBA player on it and he might be able to win a league without without a guy that's going to play in the NBA. Well, Jay Huff will probably play in the NBA because when you're seven foot and and block block shots. you got a chance. He'll he'll get a contract somewhere. So maybe I'm just like they don't have a draft pick on that roster, I don't
1: think. Yeah.
0: And Tony Bennett, I know, is good enough to win the ACC without having a draft pick on. it. I don't know if. Mike Young is good enough. He might be, but I mean, that's my one thing with them is there's just like a, there's a, a talent ends up being the ultimate differentiator. And I think there's a certain level of talent that, uh, that, that Virginia tech team doesn't have. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like their guards are really good, but they're not like BD not extremely great. Like they're not good shooters. Like they don't, they don't really stretch the floor. Raffer and Beatty don't really stretch the floor. How much would sure. you have
0: loved to play the role that Jalen Cone
1: plays? <laughs> That'd be awesome. He just comes in and guns. He didn't gun today though. He but he guns though. He usually comes in and guns. They had a whole spiel for him on TV today. It was like, look yeah, at you, It was just like, geez, just run off, run off of double screens and
0: fire up threes, man. Like that's that's life. That's the dream. As right as there. you see the
1: rim, bro, just put it up. Yeah. He was he looked, yeah. looked like
0: he was having fun. If you catch the ball and it feels like leather, let it fly.
1: When it doesn't not. <laughs> Windows um.
0: All right. Last thing that last thing that we can get out of here is that uh, the Ohio State Illinois game. I just wanted to touch on that. Did Did you have a chance to see the end?
1: Like which part? Like the the, the finish of the game? Yeah. So uh, more or so less. What,
0: <laughs> well, the, the reason I ask is, um. Ohio state was up. The, they, they were up by like 17, in 17 the first yeah, half, and they kept it like double digits for the whole second half to the point that I like with two minutes left, I shut it off. I was like, this is over. Like, why am I watching this right now? Um, but Illinois made a run and they cut it to two with 15 seconds left and Ohio state had the ball and there was an inbounds and it looked pretty clearly like, like Dwayne Washington stepped out of bounds when he caught the inbounds pass before he was foul. Mm-hmm. Um, they never reviewed it. They're, they, they, I, maybe they did review it, but they couldn't. Um, they couldn't overcharge. Whatever it was, like they, the, the whistle didn't blow, and uh, instead of getting the ball on what could have been a turnover, um, Ohio State got two free throws. They hit both of them. There was a miss shot. Two more free throws. Final score ended up being 87-81. Um, but if they had gotten that ball back, my, my contention was that all that would have done. Yes, it would have helped you win the game, but it would have papered over the cracks of what seems to be like kind of like a, a budding problem with this Illinois team. That's back to back home losses. Yeah. Um, so, my, my, I guess my question is twofold. One, it seems like the uh, the secret is out. The way to beat Illinois is do everything you can to force I.O. to his left hand and do everything you can to make Kofi Coburn guard on the perimeter. Exactly. And if you do those, if you do those two things, you're probably going to end up beating him. But the other part of it is, and I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day. When you have guys on your team that expected to be in the NBA and expected to go pro and expected to not come back to school, sometimes it it can make it difficult to go through tough times, right? Because there's a natural inclination to be like, man, why the fuck am I still here? Why why am I in this practice getting yelled at by this coach? I should have been in the league by now. I should have been pro I should be making paychecks and, and going and, and practicing with LeBron or practicing with, That's with easy to say. or whatever it is like, you know, it's but you know what I'm saying? Say. Like, yeah, trust me. I hear you. It's easy to I, say, like, I, I don't know specifically if there's anything going on with I like, first of all, I like his circle is, is as tight as any like, nothing gets out about him. Right. Not that, that that his family, his people that control the message as well as anybody I've ever, ever seen. Like it's so even the coaching staff had no idea what his decision was going to be until like he announced it on Twitter. Right. So uh, that he was coming back to school. So, like, I, I don't think there's any way to possibly to know if anything's going on. But the fact that they keep getting off the slow starts, the fact that you can kind of see like emotion boiling over. We saw Kofi slam a ball uh, in the Ohio state game. We saw them getting yelled at in the Northwestern game. Um, I, I just, it feels like something is off with that, with that team. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, did you ever run into that when you were playing like guys that thought they should be gone and kind of messing things up? I, I just, it seems like that's the kind of thing that can mess up a locker room and a team and a culture dynamic.
1: These things can, Um and it's important that you have upperclassmen, of course. That's always important. But the but if you don't have that upper, those upperclassmen, it's important that the message – like, the message is the most important thing because if you're worried about stuff that's going on outside the locker room, more or less, like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be here. We're playing bad, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. you also got to use that same intellect to say, well, if I can't win games against Ohio State, and at home or against Northwest, like, like, what, what does that say about like my, my talent in a sense? And it's not even like, we can't question these guys' talent. It's just more or less like there's a responsibility you have being the best best players in the team. Like, it is what it is. Like, and I kind of put this more IO and, and Kofi and coach to like figure out how to win. Like that's, that's on those guys to figure out how to win these games. Like there's nothing there's nothing uh, anyone else can possibly do about it except those three. I mean, obviously the rest of the team, but you look at the production and where, where, like, how they produce, how they win games. They win it through I.O. They win it through Kofi. They win it through Adam Miller. If he's there, like as far as scoring, Georgie helps a time, but like you, the way they play, they have to they have to show consistency, and then obviously defensively, they got to figure out what they need to do to like fix these problems. Yeah, and, I mean, and, you know, I'm, I'm not... That sucks. Like, all that stuff sucks. Like, Kofi can't step outside of the paint. Like, all they did was put EJ Liddell at the five, bro. And oh, have he- him step on the perimeter, and he had a field day. And it was, was, like... awesome. Yeah, I think he had... Two, his first two paint points were in the second half. Everything else was mid-range and threes. And it was, all right, cool, we're going to put him at the five, mm-hmm. and we're going to make him step out, and now he has to step out. And if he has to... Like, it was... It, at the end of the day, if they don't they don't just make these adjustments and figure out a way to motivate or figure out another way of of making these adjustments, they're going to get, like, picked apart the entire season. Yeah. Big like, test too good. Yeah. So
0: I don't know. You know, I I I realize now after I said all that, like, I kind of slandered, like, Kofi and Io a little bit. Like, I, that wasn't my point. Like, I, as much as – this looks like it could be something where there's some kind of like chemistry issue. It very well just might be that like the big 10 is this good tough. stuff. And yeah, everyone's so. going to
1: go through it. You know, and they just, just got to figure out how to win. I don't, I, from the way they play, you could, t- I kind of can see like by watching the game and it's only I'm, from a fan's point of view It's just like watching. I don't see any animosity between these guys with one another. I don't see like, I, I remember seeing Co- the coach, like getting Kobe's face, like talking to him, telling him what he needs to do. And talking to Georgie face to face when he's they're angry. And it's not like these dudes are like demonstrative to their coach almost in a sense, like, get out, get off of me. I'm not trying to hear that shit. Or nah, it's none of that. They show him, they show him respect, they, they listen. They, obviously, they get frustrated with how things are going. It's a, I kind of feel like the chemistry in that sense isn't the problem. I feel like it's more fixing these little and, and uh, fixing these little problems defensively and, and, yeah. and maybe even pointing them out. Maybe that's another thing. Like, who knows? Like I kind of feel like when I played, if the, if it was my fault, like someone's just beating me and we like with hugs, it was like offensive rebounds. He hates being up offensive rebounds. So if we had a game where Sam young got like three offensive rebounds when I was boxing him out, like, I hated getting called out. Like, it's just like, it made me feel like, it's my fault that this is all happening. And even, and obviously the game doesn't work like that where it's just particularly your fault It's a group, it's a team effort. But if you certain code, like a way a coach, like demonstrates, like, you know, talks to a player and demonstrates like what's going on in the games when they're watching film or when they're practicing, like you don't want it to be your fault. So maybe that's like one of the things they maybe they can do is, you know, coach figure out who needs to take some ownership. Because these guys are too talented to be losing the games they're losing. Yeah, that's and that's especially.
0: that's definitely. And it also might just be like, you know, everyone's going to go through this in the Big Ten. Like maybe Michigan's going to lose two or three because what will happen, sure. what's going to happen in that conference is once somebody figures out how to beat you, they're going to keep doing that. And you then you got to make that adjustment and you got to figure out, like, okay, <laughs> if we can't do this anymore, then how the hell are we going to win games? And it might sure. just be cyclical like that. And it's also like, look, Kofi's what twenty years old? Twenty one years yeah. old? Ios what like twenty two at the oldest? And like these dudes are in the like just had their careers completely upended. Like Io, maybe he maybe he should have gone pro. Maybe not. Whatever it is, like all of the decisions that he made were completely blown up because of everything going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic and the way that that the, our our country and our world is operating right now. So if you're going to tell me like a twenty one year old is having difficulty with the fact that they're losing some games. It's not going as easy for him as he thought he's uh, looking at the man. grass is greener and like a guy's playing well to NBA. Like, okay. I like, I get it. I would probably be frustrated too. Like that shit isn't, everybody's going through things like that right now. So yeah. I, I told, I totally get it. Like, I'm not trying to slander their character when I say this, but it's, it's very, it seems to me like not all the pieces are fitting the way that they should right now. And you know, Illinois, they got to adjust. Like you Got no other choice than, than to go out there and figure out what the problem is and, and figure out an answer. Sure. All right, Dave We've been here an hour. It's always a pleasure, man. Uh, same, we will be same. back. We'll be back at some point this week. Before I let you go, I need a prediction right now. Talk Kansas Baylor, Monday night. Who wins? Where's it
1: at? Baylor. Baylor. Yeah. <laughs> can't I can't go against Baylor, man. They they have one of their worst games I've ever seen, and they kept a team to 60 points. I'm with, you, I'm with you. all right guys we'll be back with you at
0: some point one day this week we're gonna do another late night live stream uh you know because we got to crack those beers on the, on the feed man you guys want to drink right. beers with us that's what we're gonna do hey sean it's always a pleasure bro
1: same man